0: Awesome. Uh y'all can be seated. Uh for all the troopers that were that were standing through the whole thing. Thank you. Y'all are troopers. But uh how's everybody doing this morning? All right. So I have like maybe three or four greats and a hand clap. I'm assuming the hand clap goes for a great as well. I don't think you can hand clap if you're not doing great. But uh so let's do it, let's run it back one more time just uh just to see what's just to see if anybody missed the opportunity and you really do want to say I'm doing great, but you just missed it because I gave it to you kind of like a little bit shock notice and you really do want to say I'm doing great. I'm going to give you another chance to do that. How's everybody doing today? Great. Oh, snap. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. All right. Uh, hey, my name is Josh. For those who don't know me, I serve as the lead pastor here at Refuge. And before we continue any further, I'm going to turn on a timer so that we don't go till dinner instead of till lunch. Uh, I'll try to get you out of here before lunch too, but without the timer, I will get you out of here closer to dinner. So uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue our time in worship. Uh, By engaging the word, by coming to the word of God. What do we mean by that? We say this most weeks, but we're going to keep saying it because we think it's important. We mean we're going to continue our time in worship by coming to the scriptures because we believe this is not stopping our time in worship. Rather, we believe coming to these words, we come to the very words that God has breathed out and given us for instruction, uh, for a revelation, right, a display of who he is. And so when we approach these words, we approach them having an expectation that through them, God will meet us where we are. And so when that, that doesn't just apply to this morning. It applies to when you're at your own house and you open your Bible and you're like, man, I'm going to get my, like, my quiet time in. You know, everybody wants to get their quiet time in. And so when you're doing that, we believe God meets you there, too. And, and likewise, when we're here reading these words and we take a peek at and we say, God, show us what you want to show us. Teach us what you want to teach us. Shape us how you want to shape us. We believe that God does that as we uh, engage in these words. and So that's why we're continuing a time of worship by engaging with this book, the Bible, if you didn't know the book I was talking about. Um, OK, so how we're going to do this, we're going to continue a sermon series that we started uh, several weeks ago at this point, entitled The Heart. And you've heard me make this corny joke before. It's not a biology lesson. Uh, I'm not the right guy. for That's not my area of expertise, all right? But we're rather talking about the things that we believe come from the heart. That is our emotions, right? What, is the, what do the scriptures say about our emotions and about, about where they come from and about what they do and, and how God uses them? And over the course of the uh, past several weeks, the things that we've taken away probably most acutely have been the idea of feelings, right? Feelings as a whole, the ability to feel, that comes from God. God is a feeling God. He feels things. And because we're made in his image, we likewise have the ability to feel things. But our individual feelings don't come from God. Our individual feelings, right, the ability to feel comes from God, but our individual feelings come from, from our heart. They come from our experiences. They come from the things that we love. They, they come from places and uh, deep within us that shape and form us. And so when they come out, we shouldn't dismiss them. Why? Because they reveal something about where we are and who we are and where we've been and what God might want to do in us in response to those things. Um, past few weeks we, we've talked about several negative emotional experiences because I think all of us would agree that it's not hard to like get on board with a positive emotional experience uh I ain't gonna lie to you yesterday morning I bring it up a lot all right we got a couple of smiles in the house already uh Arsenal is a football team in England and yesterday at 6:30 in the morning in the wee hours of the morning I went to a pub near downtown Austin just to watch this game with fellow, the, the, the fan of Arsenal, like Arsenal fans are called Gooners. If you didn't know. Everybody say with me, Gooners. All right, so we're making disciples, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I, I met at this pub with a bunch of Gooners, fellow Gooners, and we watched this game, and it was against the arch-rival, is it arch-rival or arch-rival? Arch-rival, right? Arch-rival team, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, everybody say Boo. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. All right, all right, we're good, we're good, we're good. I'm amongst my own, all right? Um, And I got into this group of people, and uh, for the first 18 minutes or so, it was a little little shaky. We looked good, but there was no score yet. And all of a sudden, from the top of the box, that's language you don't got to worry about. One guy just booted one, and it sailed across the sky, and it took a turn, and it landed in the top corner. It was a beautiful goal, y'all. It hit the back of the net, and the whole pub, what happened? It went crazy. Everybody just went wild. I told you that the last time I was there, somebody grabbed me from behind and just, like, started being like, oh, and it was like complete strangers just yelling in my ear at this point, right? Um, And so we don't have any problems with that. Those emotional experiences are usually like, I like that. I wish I could settle into this. In fact, I wish I could stay here for a bit longer. And I did get to stay there for a bit longer because they won that game. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, but, um, right, we don't usually have problems with negative emotional experiences what we have problems with oftentimes with uh, positive emotional experiences. Rather, what we tend to have a more difficult time with is our negative emotional experiences, right? These things like uh, what we've covered recently, anger, right, grief. um, These are experiences that we tend to look at and go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to brush that aside. Uh, And then there's another group of us that say, well, you know, my feelings are like a compass to me, so I'm just going to kind of go ahead and follow them. Whatever I feel, that must be what's true, and so I'm just going to pursue that. And we've worked through several different iterations of of kind of negative experiences and how we can engage them and we're engaging them through a system of what oh come on bro you could do it you could do it oh snap all right someone other than mark did it let's go uh by identifying the emotion right examining the emotion evaluating the emotion and then what Oh, snap. All right. So seven of y'all are getting this. All right, let's go. So we're going to do that today, but this is going to be the last negative emotional experience we cover. After this, next week, we're going to conclude this series by doing something a little bit different, but we're going to take care of that next week. This week, we're going to focus on this week. And the last negative emotional experience we're going to talk about is guilt and shame. Now, this is tricky because guilt and shame, I said it uh, in our in our like pre-service kind of huddle, guilt and shame are like two words that we as Christians look at and we just have like a vendetta against these a am point over here already. Um, I'm going to point over there a lot today, but not yet. Um, They're like these words we have a vendetta against because we obviously hear the message of the gospel and we hear that the gospel uh, invites us to to really Jesus taking our shame and taking our guilt. And so then we go, well, I should never feel any type of guilt or any type of shame. Uh, And then all of a sudden we start to reject things that God may be using in order to invite us into a deeper moment with his love a deeper moment with his grace, a deeper moment with what it means to be known and what it means to be loved and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be seen and what it means to be redeemed, right? Guilt and shame in his hands are actually beautiful. Why? Because oftentimes guilt and shame in the hands of a redeemer tends to produce glory on glory on glory for a God that looks and says, I've overcome that. I've overcome that when we brush it aside when we sweep it under a rug, right, we lose these beautiful moments where God is actually inviting us to get a deeper understanding of, of how much he loves us, how much he seeks to forgive us, the beauty of his grace, right, and so what we want to do today is we want to think about what it looks like to engage these feelings when they come up, right, guilt, shame, even saying them at church in, in any form of, like, positive light, just, it makes me feel a little bit awkward, so if you're feeling a little bit awkward, I'm with you, right? But uh, we want to think about what it looks like to engage in a positive way? And if we're going to take one idea, like uh, the way Sean has said in the past, the, the text in a tweet, uh, it would be this, that engaging guilt and shame invites us to experience the depths of God's love and grace. Right. Engaging guilt and shame invites us to experience the depths of God's love and grace. So how we're going to explore this idea is we're going to do it the way we've been doing it the past few weeks. We're going to first try to start by defining guilt and shame. Right, we're going to define them. Sometimes for us, we define them in, in ways that we have grown accustomed to or ways that we feel comfortable with. And so uh, we want to define them in a way that we think is a little bit more neutral and a little bit more uh, helpful. And then from there, we want to find that idea of guilt and shame in our own lives. And from there, we're going to put uh, guilt and shame through that, that system of identify, ev- uh, examine. Even I used to be slipping up on it, so I, I, I appreciate you all that know it. Identify, examine, evaluate, and act. And then at the end, we're going to try to sum it up, kind of how the gospel approaches this idea as well. Although that will be laced through uh, very much during, during the course that we're going to talk about. So let's start with defining guilt and shame. Because before we jump into a text, which I want us to do, we need to kind of define some terms. Because if we're going to define the terms, we're going to take our own ideas of these thoughts, and we're going to put them into a text, and then we're going to pull out kind of our own ideas from it. So we want to define some of these terms well. And so how do we define guilt and shame? This is, this is some thoughts that I would want you to think about. First off, what do guilt and shame tell us? Well, guilt tells us I've done something wrong. That's a pretty basic, basic definition. Guilt is just a simple feeling internally, right? Your own conscience looking at you being like, fam, I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. I- I've hurt somebody. Uh, it, you know, like it, it is that same feeling, and I hate to use another like dad example, but it's just so easy with young children. Uh, it's that same thing that makes my daughter, when she's done something, when she's like, My dad actually, this is actually a better example. My dad loves to carry around, dad, raise your hand. Okay, right there. All right. My dad loves to carry around this little black briefcase. He loves to carry it around. And it's funny because in it, he has like the whole world of what grandpas are supposed to have, right? He has like his thermos, but then he has all of his medicines, but then he also has like all these random like cough drops, And I'm pretty sure soon there's going to be, like, Werther's in there, you know, because, like, once you get to a certain age, Werther's just become a staple. Uh, And so you got a little caramel candy, that type of thing. And (laughs) you'll be sitting in the living room, and my daughter will be like, I want to hang out with Pawpaw. So she'll be like, Pawpaw, then she starts sneaking over. Then she takes a look at the the, the little briefcase, and her little hand starts being like. The thing is, she doesn't do it with this sense of, like, I have freedom to do this. You see what I'm saying? She doesn't just pick it up and go, oh, yeah, I can open this and grab some cough drops. MBD, right? I want my Ricola. She doesn't do that. She kind of does this weird thing where she slides over and goes. And she slowly opens and then Papa has to be like, hey. And then she's like, I don't touch nothing, right? I've done something wrong. In her case, I'm doing something wrong, right? That kind of internal voice, right? But then in addition to that, we have shame. And Shame is a little bit more complex. It takes on a different dimension. But shame is that something is wrong with me. And here's probably the biggest point. Others can see it. Something's wrong with me. Others can see it, though. And that's where shame is really produced. Something's wrong with me. I've done something wrong. And others can see that thing. That's where shame comes in. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Depending on circumstances... Depending on circumstances, that's a big, I should have underlined and all kinds of other things that depending on circumstances, because I think we can all identify moments where guilt and shame can go very wrong. But depending on circumstances, both guilt and shame can be helpful. Right. Both guilt and shame can be helpful in the right circumstances. Right. Surrounded by the right people, anchored by the right hope, freed by the right message. I, I love this quote that um The authors of that book, Untangling Emotions, that I've constantly talked about, uh, that a lot of the stuff came from, um, this man's name is Alistair Groves, something like that. Can you put it on the next slide? I forgot this man's last name, and I put it here. Uh, Oh, Alistair Groves. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, he says it like this in the book. Painful emotions such as guilt and shame are, at their best, meant to promote healing and growth. When we get a signal via guilt and shame, we know something is wrong. Right, so guilt and shame at their best, at their best, right, promote healing and growth. Why? Because they, they send us a signal something's not right, something is wrong. This is maybe, maybe for some of us already challenging because we've never experienced something like guilt or shame at their best. I would say the majority of us have and treat this as a negative experience. Why? Because we've experienced guilt and shame at their worst, right, where you're down and maybe you're even saying, hey, I did something wrong, and people are saying, well, yeah, because you should have done that. And I man you messed up your whole life. You ain't go to school. You ain't you ain't get a good job. Right? You mess up with that boy, you mess up with that girl. Right? That that's how we tend to experience these things through harshness, through anger, outside of a redemptive lens. And so when we approach guilt and shame, we automatically have this deep sense of, like, I hate this. And what ends up happening is because we've been abused by these things in their negative context, we develop a deep resentment toward them. Ignore it, guys. Let's go. Let's focus here, all right? Uh, Right? We develop this deep resentment and, and resistance toward it that then in time, once people keep telling you you're wrong, you've messed up, you're wrong, you've messed up, that resistance and that resilience gives birth to saying, you know what? No, I haven't. In fact, I don't think I ever do. I'm doing me. And I live my truth. And I think I know what's good for me. I'm right, you're wrong. And all of a sudden, on the opposite ends of the spectrum because people have abused us with the ideas of guilt and shame, we can easily find ourselves in spaces where now we have no more shame. We have no more guilt and we think we're free. But in all honesty, right, we're not. We're bound most likely by our own resentment, by our own anger. We're not actually free. We're just bitter and hurt. And so this is important. Guilt and shame at their best promote healing and growth, right? At their best, they promote healing and growth. We'll get to kind of how we want to engage that and how we want to think through that in a minute. But we want to find, um, find guilt and shame in our own lives. What does that look like? Well, a couple of thoughts that I would love to bring you to first, right? Can you get to the next slide real quick? First, guilt is a personal experience, right? Guilt is a personal experience, while shame is often experienced in the context of relationships. That's kind of alludes to what we said before, right? That guilt is something saying you've done something wrong. And shame is when you feel like other people can see that you've done something wrong. Guilt is a personal experience, right? But the thing is, shame oftentimes develops its, its, its whereabouts, right? It, it kind of puts its foot into the door in the context of relationships. You think about this in the context of maybe like a story like Genesis 3 from the Bible, right? Adam and Eve. Right. They eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, and they realize or recognize that they're what? All right, all right. I just realized when I said that, I was like, saying naked in church is a little weird, so I, I get why you're a little resistant to throwing that one out there. But they realize that they're naked. Uh, and the thing is, they look at each other, and they're like, oh, fam, you're naked. And they look at themselves, and they're like, oh, fam, I'm naked. And they're like, I can see you. And you can see me. And then they do what? Then they hide. They cover themselves with, with, with leaves. So all of a sudden, personal experience, right, with guilt. I think I've done something wrong. I think I've done something not right. When we take that into the realm of, of relationships and we begin to wrestle with that feeling of, I think they know that I've done something wrong. I think they can see that I've done something wrong. All of a sudden, there's that idea of shame, sort of like embarrassment, and it makes us want to hide. It makes us want to cover up. Right, and so when you're finding it in your lives, make sure you understand that the internal perceptions of, of guilt, right? That you're, thinking, you're wrestling with guilt. One second, let's go back to the other one real quick. Um, you're wrestling with guilt, right? But at the same time, when you're, in the, when you're in relationships and you're wrestling with some of these same feelings, that might be transitioning into like an idea of shame. Here's another thing I, wanna, I want you to see. In a similar way, shame often furthers what guilt starts. What do I mean? Shame often furthers what guilt starts. You can feel guilty, and you can also feel shame, right? You can feel shame for the very thing that you felt guilty about. In the best context, again, both these things that work in a positive way, promote healing, promote growth. In negative ways, they can obviously promote negative things. I think that's the way most of us have probably experienced those things, right? Most of us have probably experienced, again, shame, guilt, and thought to ourselves, that could not possibly produce anything good. Yet, when we look at the scriptures and we look at church discipline and we look at what it looks like for someone like Paul to engage with these ideas, he's going to do it in a way that desires nothing more than person's redemption, and he understands that the, 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 the actual feelings of guilt, and maybe even to a more limited extent, but nonetheless, even a sense of, of, of isolation, a sense of, hey, we can see that this isn't okay, can produce something good. Let's take a look at our text now. Right. Having thought through some of that, let's take a look at Second Corinthians chapter two. We're going to read five through eight. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree. Uh, not to exaggerate to all of you, this punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Wait, where am I here? Sorry, lost my place. Yeah, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. That's it. Um, in this verse, what's happening is that it's it's kind of picking up from where Paul left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, man, I, I've I've heard great things about the Corinthian church. Y'all are mad gifted. Y'all over here, everybody's speaking in tongues. Everybody's trying to heal everybody else. Y'all are like, y'all are mad powerful, right? When you get into a room full of you guys, you guys start doing all kinds of stuff, and everybody's like, man, I could feel God's presence here. And he's like, and I, and I see that you love the Lord. I know that you do. You guys are great in a lot of areas. But then in chapter 5, he stops and he makes this weird transition, and he goes, but I've been hearing some words, too. I've been hearing some things that y'all have when he describes sexual immorality amongst you. And then he says, in fact, it's the type of immorality that non-believers look at and go, I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's all right. He further goes on and says, man, I've actually heard that there's a, a young man sleeping with his, with his stepmom. And y'all are like arrogantly accepting of this man. You think that grace has given you the ability to basically look at him and say, hey, it's fine. We, you could still be a part of what's happening. Everything's all right. No worries. What is Paul doing? He's identifying the fact that, hey, you have basically cast out the idea that this man should feel guilt. You have thought that grace basically is, is meant to be abused. Right? You've basically seen grace in your context and elevated it and mistreated it because you think that God must have designed it. Because of how radically powerful and beautiful and overwhelming this grace is, man, you, it must be designed to be abused. So you see the man sleeping with his stepmom and go, oh, you're fine. Just stick around us. And Paul says, that's not okay. That's not okay. Here's the thing. You should feel guilt for that. That person should. You should. Why? Because a holy God is not looking and saying, I accept you just because I don't really think things are a big deal. I don't really think immorality is a big deal. I don't really think our wrongdoing is a big deal. We're before and created by a holy God who holds holiness and justice and what's right so highly that he would send his son to die in our place so that he could redeem and accept us. That's the holiness of the God that we serve and the holiness of the God that we're made by, the holiness of the God in whose image we are created. And so Paul's looking at this and going, hey, I think you've misunderstood grace. You might have misunderstood like, like the nature of God's holiness. You thought that this is completely fine, and I'm letting you know that it's not. It's not okay. She came back right around and was like, hey, mom, you forgot me, right? (laughs) Um, It's not okay. And so what does he say at the end of that section? He says, and so out of love, because I know that this person does not want to repent, that this person does not want to turn away from what he's doing, give him over to the devil. What does that mean? Give him over to his passions. Give him over to what he's going to do. um, And you may need to isolate him for a while away from from these people. But here's the important part when we experience guilt, we experience shame, that's what feels like the end point of guilt and shame for us. You've done something wrong, so get out of here. So be isolated. We don't wanna see you anymore, we don't wanna be around you anymore. But when we get to like 1 Corinthians 5 and we see Paul doing this, what does he say? When you are assembled, this is verse 4. It's actually not going to be up here. I'm sorry. I totally forgot to make this slide. Um, Verse 4 in chapter 5, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, verse 5, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Again, really sounding rough right now. But then that verse continues, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you see what's happening here? There's an effort to understand, hey, right now you're not registering the idea of guilt at all. And the community of faith, a a trusted people that loves you, in fact, may have loved you to the point of destruction because they're loving you to the point that they're enabling you a little bit. Their love needs to be corrected. And that's a bit of what Paul is doing here. They need to come around you and say, hey, give that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Just so we can, like, like shame him and get him out and make him feel bad? No, because that's not the goal. The goal is for the redemption of that person. Right? When, when shame, when guilt exists and are used outside of a redemptive hand, when they're not used so that out of love, so that you can grow, so that we can grow, so that we can see the error of our ways and return to something that is better for us, man, it is going to be extraordinarily hurtful. But when it's done in the context of of people that love you, when it's done in the context of people that are saying, hey, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you see Man, maybe I need to be away from you for a little bit. Maybe we need to take some space. Why? Because some of these things that you're doing are not okay. Some of these things that you're doing are wrong. And you're already wrestling with the internal feelings of guilt of, like, I kind of am wrestling with this already. I don't really want to bring it up. I don't really want to let it go. But there's something in me already that's kind of going, I'm really insecure about what I'm doing. And now they're coming at me. In that moment, it may not be that you have a bunch of haters and that you're wrestling with, like, some type of weird social expectation. It may be that the Lord lovingly is telling you, change. Because the path that you're on is destructive, and I love you enough to not let you go there. That's loving. What Paul's doing there is caring. And any one of us that has anyone that we love that's ever been on a destructive path that can't see that text and go, there's some love in there, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I would be burdened for you. I would be burdened for you. And I would be fearful for you. And I would be fearful for those that you love. Because that's a godly way to say, hey, it's important that you feel the weight of this. If you can't and you decide you won't, we will step in. We will lovingly surround you and let you know, hey, this isn't okay. This isn't all right. Right? Guilt kind of starts something. Shame can kind of further that along. And, and if we're going to find it in our lives, one of the things that we need to do is, uh, can you put that slide back up with the third one, is we probably need some trusted people uh, in your life uh, to really show you when there's something wrong. If guilt is over here and and it's telling you, hey, there's something wrong, and shame is when a collection of people can kind of say, hey, we see what's happening here, and like, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Trusted people that you know have been impacted by the gospel, that preach the gospel, that have to preach the gospel to themselves, that are willing to preach the gospel to you, those are going to be the people that you're going to need in your life to come around you and go, hey, just so you know, brother and sister, what's going on right now isn't okay. Why? Because those individuals that you can see and sense, man, you're so intimately, uh, um, you're so intimately understanding and interacting with the gospel, that when you approach me, you're not doing it so that Satan can tear away my flesh. And that's where the verse ends. You're not ending in the middle of verse five. You're not bringing something up in my life so that I can just be destroyed. You're bringing something up for the redemption at the day of the Lord. That's what you're doing. And you're doing it because you love me. Right, trusted people in your life that you know, fam, they are so soaked with the gospel. They understand what it means to interact with guilt. They understand what it means to interact with shame. And they understand what it means to turn to a Savior who has seen that guilt and seen that shame, who has known the long list of things you've done right and the long list of things that you've done wrong and the long list of things you wish were so right that they could be counted as righteousness before God. And he says, I'm going to take all that to the cross and in me you'll be accepted, renewed, loved, cared for. They're so intimate with that, that story, with that message that when they come to you and say, hey, something's not right here. They're not doing it to tear you down. They're doing it to point you to the one who builds you up, right? That's where, that's where some healing comes, right? When you're so lost in your own efforts, To make yourself the person that you desperately think is the one worthy to be loved, worthy to be cared for, worthy to be accepted, worthy to be seen, worthy to be built up, that you keep putting forward, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And someone comes over and says, no, you're not, but you're still loved. No, you're not, but you're still seen. No, you're not, but you're still accepted. Why? Look at that man on that cross. That's why. You need those people. You need those people. That's what Paul was wanting these Corinthians to do for that person, to come around and say, hey, this isn't okay, but we're going to try everything we can because we love you to make it okay. Okay, so that's finding guilt and shame. Now, we're looking at that, we're putting that in the context of our lives, but if we're resting with it on a personal level, right, how do we start working out, well, what is good about this, what is bad about this? We're going to fly through this, y'all. In the past few weeks, we've been sitting there like getting a little – getting a little cute with the identify, examine, evaluate. I think we're going to fly through this bad boy. So if you're writing stuff down, God bless you and good luck. You might want to take some pictures. So so if we're going to start engaging guilt and shame, right, if we're seeing it at work in our lives and we're hoping, hey, can people that are godly, right, uh, can people that are gospel-centered, can they, like, people that are gospel just, like, just like saturated with the gospel. Can, can I trust them with the things that are going on in my life and bring those things to them? But we're, before we get there, we probably need to start understanding what's happening in our heart. That's where we want to go through this engaging, excuse me, um, guilt and shame. The first thing, if we're going to identify guilt and shame, a couple of things you should probably look out for. First one, that internal voice going, I shouldn't have done that. Right? That thing that my daughter's feeling when she's, she's just slowly trying to unlock my dad's briefcase. I probably shouldn't be doing this. That's a probably a good indication that you probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right? There's some things that that's not going to be true for. But it, this isn't saying, again, identifying is not saying here's, If once you identify the feeling of I shouldn't be doing that, means that you shouldn't be doing that. That's not a guarantee. But, man, that is a good way to start understanding, I think I'm feeling a sense of guilt. I think I'm feeling some shame. I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe this, act, this action has consequences, and I'm fearful of those consequences. Right? It's a good way to start realizing, I think I'm wrestling with some guilt. I might be wrestling with some shame. The other thing that I think is really important, friend, is that if in your life everything is someone else's fault and nothing is your fault, you're probably wrestling with some guilt and some shame. Because if you're playing the blame game so much that no one, no one can be right and only you can be right, then you might feel somewhere inside that if you gave in to what they're saying, you might be at a deficit that you can't overcome. Some type of moral deficit, some type of social deficit, some type of, of you know um, status deficit that you feel the need to constantly defend so that they can never be right and only you can be right. But shifting blame to where someone else has to take responsibility, but never you. You're probably wrestling with some guilt and some shame. So those are things you need to be thinking about to identify, you know, what's happening in my heart? Now, if we're going to examine it and start thinking about, well right? Where is this coming from? One of the things that, or, or, or where is it coming from and, and starting to think about is it good? One of the things that I would ask you to really be conscious of is to ask the question, am I guilty before God or before culture? Am I guilty before God or before culture? And are they different? Because here's the thing, there will be moments where you will come before a holy God and recognize I have, I have fallen short. And there will be times, and the thing is, that produces a measure of guilt. It produces a sense of inferiority, it produces a sense of I've not lived up to my end of what it means to follow you, to be made like you, and, and to spread what it means to, to see your goodness across the world, I've not done that. But there will also be moments where you, you come under the feeling of guilt because someone in your family is like, hey, we don't do that. And I don't, mean, I don't mean glorifying God. Hopefully, if your family is like, hey, we glorify God. That's a good family. You probably got a good family, right? But, but if someone's like, hey, uh, you're embarrassing us because we don't dress like that. I think you got to look at that and think, am I, am I guilty because of God or am I guilty because of culture? Is my family, are my family values? my family culture, the culture around around me, building up a standard and then saying, you're not meeting that standard and so you're guilty, but before God you've done nothing wrong, then guess what, fam, I lovingly want to tell you, you've done nothing wrong. You've done nothing wrong. Respecting your father, respecting your mother doesn't look like conceding to everything they want you to do. It does look like honoring them and respecting what they say, desiring to maintain a beautiful and healthy, life-giving relationship with them. But it doesn't look like every single time they look at you and say, hey, you're doing something wrong, that that means all of a sudden you are guilty. Because guess what? There will be moments where you feel guilty, where the thing is you're not. You're not. Family, culture, society, society expectations, your job, X, Y, and Z. They may be trying to make you feel like you're guilty, but the reality might be that you're not. So you need to ask yourself the question, am I actually guilty before God or am I just guilty before some type of culture that I'm involved in? And are they different or are they the same? And if they're not the same, friend, you ain't guilty. You may be feeling guilty, but I love them to tell you you're not guilty. Um, another one that's important is Am I feeling ashamed or am I being shamed by someone? And what do we mean by this? We mean it's one thing to already be wrestling with the feelings of, I feel like I've done something wrong. I feel like if you knew, it would make me feel very uncomfortable and I'd feel like a little bit embarrassed and I'd want to hide versus someone coming at you and basically just being like, hey, uh, the middle of verse 5 here. You're doing something wrong, get out of here. No redemptive plot line to it whatsoever. Right? That sense of, oh, sorry, I don't know why I responded. I was the dad coming out of me hardcore because he took a dive and I was like, no. Um, Right? If someone's coming at you in order to, to, to highlight what you've done wrong with absolutely no desire for redemption, no desire for growth, and you could feel the weight of that, Right, you, might, you might be f- shamed by somebody, and that's not okay either. Right, I, I think one of the things that's hard with this is that what we want to hear, and you may be doing this right now, and I want to fully concede that I'm, I'm, I recognize the murkiness of my water, uh, because there's some of us in here right now where you're like, man, this is just kind of like the type of thing that can lead you down the road, like sticking in an abused, abusive relationship, to which I would respond, no. You should not do that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this book is saying. That's not what God is saying. When we look and say, okay, I either want there to be no guilt and no shame, or I want there to only be guilt and only shame, to where either I feel guilty for nothing or the only time I feel comfortable or like I'm doing the right thing is when I'm sitting under guilt and sitting under shame. We've lost the tension that the gospel invites us into, which is to say, I see you and I love you and I accept you and I forgive you. And in my resurrection, we're building a new world where all the things that have brought on, right, the shame that have brought on, the guilt that have brought on, the hurt, we're doing away with. Right? It's the tension of this new world that God is forming and that is coming and the one he's conquered already. And we hold it in tension, recognizing, man, when you are telling me that I'm guilty of something and maybe I feel ashamed of something, there may be an invitation in there to go participate in the new world and leave behind the old one. But the thing is, I'm still called to leave behind the old one. I'm still called to look at those that are trying to shame me, that are trying to belittle me, that are trying to hold me down, and to be able to speak to them to say, that's not okay. That's not all right. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. You're guilty of that. In fact, it might be the moment where you start to turn the tables on a <laughs> little But to say, like, and, and God doesn't, he, he loves you, but he does not approve of what you're doing to me. Right? That's okay. That's good. Praise God. Right, But but we can't say, well, we we can't murky the waters. We have to do the hard work, which is why this is hard work. I'm not up here talking, sweating. My legs are sweating because it's hot up here. I'm not up here doing this because this is easy. I'm not up here trying to work through this because it's easy for all of us. We're up here talking about this because it is hard. It is hard to work through these feelings and to say, what is good and what is valuable and what's from God and what's from culture and what is abusive and what's constructive? But fam, when you do it, God invites you into, again, the depths of his love and grace, a vision for the world that he wants us to join in and participate. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. Right? Man, we're getting all cute with it again. Dang it. All right. So examine, right? We're examining. we got to say, am I guilty before culture, before God? Uh, and am I feeling ashamed or am I being shamed? All right, think about evaluation. We'll keep this one math short. Is my guilt or shame moving toward or away from God? That is a great question to ask yourself about what you're feeling, right? Is your guilt or is your shame moving you toward or away from God? If it's moving you away from God, if it's moving you away from brothers and sisters, if it's moving you away from everything and everyone and leaving you by yourself, that guilt or shame is probably not going to be healthy. Or at least you're not responding to it in a healthy way, bare minimum. And the the end point of that road will probably be a destructive path. It will probably be a destructive destination. And so, uh, is my guilt or shame moving toward or away from God? This step is hard, again, because you're likely navigating the questions that come with guilt and shame. And so it's likely difficult because inside you're wrestling with what it, with all like the identity you've built on this, the identity you've built on that, the sense of self-worth you've built on this, the sense of self-worth you've built on that. And all of a sudden you're wrestling with questions more like, man, um, am I worthy of this? Am I okay with this? Does this person still care about me? Have I ruined this relationship? Is God going to punish me because I did this? And all of a sudden we're building up all these very karmic ideas. If that makes sense. Right. We're taking the word of God. We're taking the world of the gospel and we're putting into this like karma system. And we're thinking to ourselves, because this has happened and because I've treated this person, I've done something wrong, man, am I going to get punished? Is there some type of, of pendulum that's going to swing back to me that's going to make me unworthy, unlovable. It's going to like rest up my life. All the while, right, it's it's kind of taking our attention and putting it back on us when the idea of guilt and shame, that at its best, again, remember the quote, at its best, it's supposed to be moving us toward this, this narrative of grace, toward this narrative of hope, toward this narrative of forgiveness. And so, so it's going to be hard to start thinking to yourself, hey, is this moving me toward or away from God? Because if all your thoughts are just about you, you're probably starting to slowly wander away. But if but if we're starting to think to ourselves, how can I bring this to the Lord? We might be walking toward him. And lastly, that leads us to acting, right? Uh, some things that we, sh- we can do in response to, to guilt and shame. First one, friend, repent and receive a fresh experience of God's incredible grace. Repent and experience, or receive a fresh experience of God's incredible grace. Titus 2, 11 through 12. Y'all have heard me say this verse a lot. Um, it's like a life. Oh, I did make a slide for it. Praise the Lamb. Um, 11 in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us or instructing us uh, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. You could you could forego the rest of 12 because I that's. Not that it doesn't apply, but, you know, we're going to stick to that first part. What is it in that verse? Can you go to the beginning of verse 12? What is it that instructs us in this verse? Think about verse 11. What is it that instructs us? Is it correction? No. Go back to verse 11 real quick, uh, Ian. For grace, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now go to the next verse. Instructing us to deny godlessness. What is it that's instructing here? Grace. Grace is instructing here. Not correction, not guilt, not shame. Grace. Grace instructs us. Grace instructs us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Right? Grace is what instructs us. Here's what, if you haven't been saying, been catching what I'm trying to put down for you. I'm not telling you that guilt and shame is your answer. I'm telling you that guilt and shame is your message. And the message points you to a destination, but it is not the destination. That's why when Paul says, deliver him over to Satan, it's not deliver him over to Satan, because that's the end of the story. It's so that, so that, so that he can be redeemed. Right. Why? Because when we come and we repent and we pour before the Lord and we say, I am wrong. I am small. I have disobeyed. I have hurt others. I have fallen short. And I look at the beauty of who you are in the son and in the work and the person of Jesus. And I am not that. And he comes and says, yeah, but I was. And I am. And on the cross, I exchanged what you bring to the table. For what I bring to the table, and in my resurrection, I exchange what your future is going to be for the future that only I could produce and I could bring, and I receive grace, and we receive grace, and that grace, that grace is what instructs us to deny ungodliness, right, a godlessness and worldly lust to live in a righteous way, right? That's what we're looking for. Repent and receive a fresh experience of God's wild, incredible Unending grace. Could you go to that second point there, Ian, uh, under engaging on acting? And the other thing, invite others into your guilt and your shame. Again, asterisks here, trusted people. If you're out here inviting whoever, guess what? You're going to get whatever type of advice. <laughs> if you're inviting whoever, you're going to get whoever for feedback. If you invite in whatever people, you're going to invite whatever in terms of, like, the quality of the feedback you're going to get from those people. But if you invite in people that are trustworthy, again, people that are, you can see, man, they are, they are just, they are, they are swimming in the gospel in their life, right? Like, they're open with their own things. Why? Because they feel confident in how they're bringing it to the Lord and how they're engaging in grace and how they're receiving these fresh experiences of grace. And that is shaping their lives, right? That, that's probably a trusted person. Uh, before service, Missy Nodine, I was talking this about this with and She brought up a really helpful point, which is those others that, that you want to invite in, you may want to limit that to people that are able to give you chapter and verse regarding what's going on in your life. What do I mean by that? I mean that you may want to limit that to the people that ain't going to look at you and be like, well, I think who are going to be like, yo, this says, right, those are two very different approaches to how people are offering correction to you, fam. Two very different approaches. One is inviting you into their standard, which, again, remember the point. Is it culture or is it God that I'm actually feeling the weight of, right? But if someone's able to look at you and say, hey, look, my concern for you is this. And here's where it says it here. And if this is what we believe it is. <laughs> if this book is what we believe it is, and this God is who we believe he is, and man, I want the best for you. And here's what I think the best for you is. And you ain't there right now. So lovingly, please don't do that no more. Come to God and experience grace. Right, man, that's the type of person you want, not the one that's like, I don't really like what you're doing right there. That's not the one. All right, so invite trusted others into uh, your guilt and your shame. And, again, it's kind of reiterating the point that we're going to finish up on here. Yeah. Yeah. Remind yourself of the gospel because grace is the road guilt and shame are pointing to. Remind yourself of the gospel, friend, because guilt and shame, again, are not, they're not not the journey. They're not the journey. They're a road sign that tells you return to grace. That's the journey. That's what the journey is going to be marked by. Because at the end of the road, when you get to glory, it ain't, you ain't going to walk up in there and be like, hey, look at all the great things I did. You're going to walk up in there and be like, look at all the great grace that I've received. Right? When the new world and, and God recreates everything, you're not going to walk in there and be like, look how all the ways I can contribute. It's going to be singularly look at what Jesus did. Glorify him. Look at the grace of almighty God to recreate the world, to recreate us, and to build a new world that we all get to enjoy because of what he's done. That's why I'm saying that Guilt and shame, your own expectations, your own efforts, they're not the road, right? But, but oftentimes, God's going to use those to point back and say, go back that way. Go back that way. That's the way that brings life. That's the way that shows me. That's the way that reminds you of what I've done and where I'm taking you and, and, and the future that I'm producing. And so remind yourself of the gospel, friends, right? Because guilt and shame, that ain't the destination, but they are going to be road signs that point and say there is the destination. So that's the journey. Grace that leads to glory. That's the, that's the road and that's the place. Grace that leads to, grace that leads to glory. I, my tongues is a sign to quit. That must mean I should quit. So um, so let's pray. Give this time to God and then let's, let's close up today. So Father, thank you so much for uh, your grace. Thank you, God, that your grace is the road and glory, because of what you've done through Jesus, is our destination. And Father, thank you that you don't, you don't just give us that and say, all right, it's no big deal if you can get on this road every once in a while, good for you. But rather, you equip our hearts with feelings, with emotions, with experiences that, that knock in their healthiest ways, in their healthiest utilizations, in their healthiest experiences, that knock and simply say, get back to that road. Get back to that road that, that invites you into experiencing the depths of God's love and his grace and his glory and his future. Thank you. Father, help us and give us wisdom by your spirit, Father, by your spirit in order to give us wisdom to navigate through the moments that are unhealthy, the moments where we are being shamed by others, the moments where we're feeling guilt for no reason, the moments where we're like wrestling with things like Maybe anxiety, and, and we have to start to, to wrestle with the fact that maybe this isn't showing me something that you want to do in my life. Maybe this is uh, just a burden. Maybe this is something that I have to actually rebuke at times, not in terms of anxiety, but in terms of, like, the things that maybe other people are holding me accountable to. And I have to say, hey, this isn't, this isn't what I'm under. But, but nonetheless, give us wisdom and, and, and guidance by your spirit to navigate and understand where, where the places where you are pointing us back to you. In order to glorify yourself by loving, serving, forgiving, and redeeming us. Because that's how you show how great you are. I tell you this, that the Gentiles, they use their authority by holding it over other people. Not so with you. The greatest will be the weakest, the smallest. The one who comes to serve. Just as the son of man came not to serve, but to, uh, not to be served, but to serve. Father, help us live like that. Help us see how you care for us and help us respond by by desiring to live in that way and, and by engaging with the idea of guilt in that way. Uh, to your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.